Well, welcome to Renaissance on this probably coldest day of 2017. Had to wait till the last day of the year to get like 20 degrees below zero, it seems like out there. And it's just going to get colder. And uh, we won't talk about global warming and all that other fun stuff. My name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. And thank you so much for coming out. It is great to see you. And Happy New Year to everybody as well. This morning, I want us to take a look at some very old, some vintage ads for a product called Woodbury's Facial Soap. Woodbury's Facial Soap. This first ad is from 1892, and the tagline reads, facts, not fiction, convince. And if you look at the ad, all you see is text, text everywhere. There's like no white space. You got a picture of Dr. Woodbury there, the guy that apparently invented this amazing soap. And the ad itself focuses on the physical benefits of the soap. Apparently it cleanses, it beautifies, it cures pimples, and it reduces undue redness of the nose. Rudolph, take note of that particular one. 1916, take a look at this next one from 1916. The tagline has changed. This one says, a skin you love to touch. Interestingly, this is arguably the first ad to have used sex appeal to try to sell a product. And in the ad, it says, send today for this beautiful picture. It will be a constant reminder that you too can have the charm of a radiant, velvety skin. 10 cents, you can have that picture and a bar of Woodbury's facial soap. And maybe, just maybe, the handsome man in the picture will notice you as well. Jumping ahead to 1949, they are now celebrating the marriage of another Woodbury Deb. Poor Dot couldn't get Jack to notice her, but when she started using Woodbury facial soap, well, let's just say that Woodbury's facial soap is no longer using their tagline, facts, not fiction, convinces people. So the average person, the average person sees 362 ads every day. That works out to be over 132,000 ads each year, and every single one of them is trying to influence us in some way. They're trying to tell us what to buy. They're trying to tell us how to think. They're trying to tell us how to live our lives. They're trying to tell us how we can have better relationships, how we can get married, how we can have happy friendships, and on and on and on. And whether we agree with their message or whether we disagree with it, whether we think that it's good or it's bad, that these advertisers are trying to influence our thinking, we absolutely have to realize that they are succeeding in what they're trying to do. Take a look at this ad from 2008, Dos Equis Beer. Being boring is a choice. Those mild salsas and pleated khakis don't just buy themselves. There you go. That ad campaign, the most interesting man ad campaign, doubled Dos Equis Beer sales in a period of five years. And during most of that time, most other imported beers were declining in their sales. That campaign was unbelievably successful. Now, I didn't actually buy any beer as a result of that, but I no longer wear pleated pants. There you go. <laughs> and then as I'm talking to Dave yesterday, he says, yeah, but you know what? Pleated pants have just come back in, so you're way behind the times. I don't even know anymore how you're supposed to do this. You know, soap, beer, those are not the only voices that are trying to influence our thinking. Amazon.com has for sale more than 687,000 self-help books. 
That is 687,000 voices that want to, me to pay them to tell me how I can have a more happy and fulfilling life. There you go. You know what? I could just ask a whole bunch of you and you would do it for free, right? So there's all these voices out there that are trying to influence the way that we think. They're trying to influence the way that we live. They're trying to influence the things that we do. And if we're not careful, we can blindly, blindly follow those voices and sometimes we'll regret the choices that we make. The very first ad campaign was thousands and thousands of years before Woodbury Soap, and it was designed to get people to eat more fruit, actually. And it starts with a young couple who are living in a perfect environment that we now call the Garden of Eden. Now, Genesis chapter three, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now watch what he's doing. He's trying to create a need there. He's casting a little bit of doubt in Eve's mind as to what God actually said. Why? Because he knows that if he can just pry open a little bit, create just a little bit of a need, he can begin to sell her his product. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Watch the next step that he's taken. First, he just says, you know, did God really say this? And then the second time he says, God, God is wrong about this. You're not going to die. And he says, God is withholding something good from you. I've got this product that God won't let you have. And when you have it, you're gonna be happy. You're gonna be fulfilled. You're gonna be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now watch the, watch the progression. She sees that the fruit was good, good for food. Then it's pleasing to the eye. And finally, it's desirable for gaining wisdom. Okay, see that progression? Good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Think back to Woodbury's soap. The soap is good for cleaning your skin, makes it pleasing to touch and look at. And finally, it's gonna help you get married. And there you go. Same basic ad campaign, thousands and thousands of years apart. And both were extremely successful. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, it's not because God didn't know where Adam was. It's like a parent, you know, when your kid has done something wrong, you're like, so tell me what you've done. I know full well what you've done. God knew full well where Adam and Eve were, but he's pursuing them because he still wants to have this relationship with them. 
And Adam answered and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They're afraid of God? What had God done to them other than give them a perfect environment, other than give them everything they possibly could need? They had a perfect relationship with God, nothing between themselves and God. They had a perfect relationship with one another, nothing between one another, no problems, nothing hurting their relationship. What had changed? They had listened to the wrong voice. Instead of listening to the voice of God, they listened to the voice of the serpent. And instead of getting what they thought they were going to get, they got something very, very, very different. Paradise is now lost. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you, that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman who you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And there you go. That's it. And ever since that day, men have been blaming women for every problem in the whole world. And ladies, You've been doing the same thing to us too, right? And there you go. But they're not just blaming, you know, he's not just blaming Eve. He's saying the woman who you put here, God, it's ultimately your fault. If you hadn't given me this creature, you know, everything would have been fine. No, that was a blessing that God gave to Adam. God gave Adam and Eve one another as a blessing. And because they refused to listen to his voice, but instead listened to the voice of the serpent, what was good now has brought tension between the two of them. They're embarrassed to be seen by one another, so they get these fig leaves and they try to make clothing for themselves. And they're afraid of God. They're afraid of God? Yeah. And so they hid from God. And if you keep reading in Genesis chapter three, you're gonna see that not only is Adam and Eve's relationship with one another broken, their relationship with God has been damaged. The environment, this perfect, unbelievably good environment has started to decay. Thorns, thistles, weeds are starting to grow. Work, which used to be for that period of time, a joy, a pleasure, easy, fun, fulfilling, has now become difficult and it's painful and it produces sweat. And then the one that just blows my mind, apparently before this, childbearing, you didn't need an epidural, you know, but now childbearing is going to be painful as a result of Adam and Eve's decision to listen to the wrong voice. How many times, how many times, just this year, never mind the rest of my life, how many times have I, how many times have you listened to the wrong voice and how many times have we lived to regret it. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us, all of us do time and time and time again what Adam and Eve did. They knew they should have listened to God, but what was being sold to them was attractive. And so they decided to listen to that voice instead of this voice, and they lived to regret it. Thousands of years later, the same voice tried to do the same thing with another human being. And this time it didn't work. Matthew chapter four, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. Of course he's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, 40 nights. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, 
Tell these stones to become bread. Now watch what the devil is doing. Watch this temptation. Jesus desire for food is legitimate. It's good. He hasn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. So of course he's going to be hungry and there's nothing wrong with him being hungry. There's nothing wrong with him wanting food. The problem is that the devil is saying to him, you have the ability to act independently of God and provide for your own needs. But that's not what God wanted. That's not what Jesus wanted. The devil wanted him to provide for his own needs without trusting in God. And Jesus responds and he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus does is he quotes the words of God from the book of Deuteronomy and he says, you know what? Yeah, bread may be important and bread may be necessary, but there's something that's more important and something that's more necessary than that. And it's ultimately the word of God. It's listening to the voice of God. And I'm not going to listen to your voice. I'm going to listen to his voice. And I'm going to trust that he will provide the food that I need when I need it. Adam and Eve, they decided that they were going to do things their way. Jesus says, I'm going to do things my father's way. So then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he's learning here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this time the devil thinks he's going to get a little bit smarter and he starts quoting scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. He does take it out of context and Jesus recognizes this because that's not the point that the psalmist was trying to make. But what, what Satan was doing is he's trying to get Jesus to test his father's love for him. If you're the son of God, he's going to love you and he will protect you. And you know what? That's absolutely true. Jesus is the son of God. His father absolutely did love him and he absolutely would protect him. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to test his love for me. I don't need to test his love for me. I don't need to prove his love for me to you or to anyone else. I know it and I'm confident in his love. And I'm not going to go against his voice just because you tell me to do that. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this all this can be yours. All this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. Last temptation. He's offering Jesus the chance to rule the world. One little catch. Just got to worship the devil instead of God. And implicit in all of that is he's saying, you know what? You can rule the world and you don't have to go to the cross. See, Jesus knew that it was God's plan all along that Jesus was gonna die on the cross and afterwards be raised from the dead, and then he was gonna sit enthroned and rule the world, which is what he's doing now. He's enthroned in heaven as the ruler of the universe. But the one thing is the devil saying, you gotta worship me in order to get that now. But if you do, you don't have to go through the pain, the agony, the torture of the cross. And Jesus responds, he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times, three times the devil came to him with something that had some truth in it and some falsehood in it. 
And three times Jesus responded by quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to say to the devil, no, I'm not gonna listen to your voice. I'm gonna listen to my father's voice. I'm not gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust him. Because even though what you're offering me is desirable, I'd much rather have what God has for me. The first Adam listened to the wrong voice. And as a result, all of us have been reaping the consequences ever since then. The second Adam listened to the right voice and we can reap the benefits of what he's done if we trust in him. He ended up going to the cross. He ended up dying. He ended up rising again, not because of some failure of God's plan, not because he didn't know was coming, but as we sang, just earlier, he did it all for love because he loved us and he wanted to restore the broken relationship that we had with God. The relationship that was perfect in the Garden of Eden until we listened to the wrong voice. And the relationship that can be restored again if we're willing to listen to the right voice and trust the right person rather than all the other voices around us that are telling us all sorts of other ways that we can have a meaningful and fulfilling and good life. Ultimately, the only way that we're going to have that ultimate fulfillment is in that relationship with God. And if we listen to his voice, our relationships with one another can begin to be restored as well. And that second Adam is undoing what the first Adam has done. And so we need to choose to listen to his voice. And with that in mind, as we're looking forward to 2018, starting tomorrow, I want to challenge you. I want to give you a challenge, not, not some resolutions. I want to challenge you to, to have a couple of goals in mind for 2018. The first one is that I want you to, to consider listening more critically to the voices around you. Listen more critically. Listen more carefully. Listen more intentionally to all those voices that are around you. Don't just believe what they say. Don't just buy what they're selling. Ask yourself, how is this voice trying to influence me? What are their hidden assumptions that maybe they don't even know, or maybe they do, but they're not telling me? If I were to listen to that voice, how would it affect my life? And can it really promise what it's, what it's can it really deliver what it's promising? Take a look at this ad from 2009 for Docker's Pants. There's a lot of text on this ad, and it's essentially what they call it is a manifesto, a manifesto making a play on the word man. And if you read it, it's challenging men to man up, act like real men rather than, and literally from this, these are the words they're using, more than, than androgynous, foamy latte drinking wimps. And that's what they're trying to do. And of course, the way to do that, if you want to be a real man, you wear Docker's pants. And that's, you know, that's the answer to the question. Mine are from Joseph Bank, so I guess I'm not a real man in that particular case. But there's more to it than that. And it's not just me saying that they've got this hidden agenda. They freely admit it. Their VP, their global VP of marketing puts it this way. She says, the intent of the campaign is to put forth a new definition of masculinity, one that embraces strength and sensitivity and appeals to men who can change a tire and a diaper. We're not trying to shame men. We want to make them laugh at themselves and at the state of manhood. And at the same time, we want to encourage them to dress up, man up, and embody today's new definition of masculinity. 
Who gave Docker's pants the right to define masculinity? It's the same people that gave Woodbury Soap the right to define femininity. Do I really want to be taking my cues from my soap or my beer or my pants? Really? And yet, that's exactly what they're trying to get me to do. Yeah, they absolutely want to sell me their pants, but they also want me to buy what they're selling in terms of what it means to be a man. Now, if you read it carefully, there's not a whole lot that's wrong with it. It's good, you know, fine for men to be able to change tires and diapers. It's fine for men to care about women and to treat them with respect. It's actually good, and we ought to do that. But again, should I be taking my cues from Docker's pants? Or should I be taking my cues from the God of the universe? The 20th century English philosopher, Sir Michael Philip Jagger, saw it very, very clearly what they're trying to do. He said, when I'm watching my TV and the man comes on to tell me how white my shirts can be, but he can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, then I ain't going to get no satisfaction. Thanks very much, Mick Jagger. He's absolutely right. That's what these ads are trying to do. They're trying to tell us how we can get satisfaction. And they're trying to deliver it in soap, beer, pants, and laundry detergent. There we go. That's the state of our world at this point. And when you look at it that way, it seems like so silly and so stupid. But how many times, how many times do we actually buy into what these voices are saying? So what I want you to do is the next time that you see an ad, whether it's on TV or whether it's on a billboard as you're driving or whether it's on the internet as you're surfing the internet, ask yourself how the people who created that ad are actually trying to influence you. Go beyond the product that they're trying to get you to buy and ask yourself, what are their underlying assumptions? How are they trying to change the way you think? How are they trying to change the way you act? How are they trying to affect the way that you interact with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, and, and on and on and on? And then ask yourself, how much have I already been influenced by either that particular ad campaign or other ad campaigns? In fact, if you want to have kind of some fun, some of you are going to be watching the, you know, the 27 college football games over the next 48 hours that are going on here. As you're watching those games, even if you don't like football, watch them for the ads and play this little game with the people with whom you're watching it and ask, what's the underlying assumption? What do they think about me? Am I stupid enough to believe that if I buy this particular beer, I'm suddenly going to be the most interesting man in the world? Do they really think that I'm that stupid? Well, yeah, they do. And you know what? So often I am that stupid. So watch those ads and, and try to understand what's going on. And you may find it surprising to see what's going on. So we do need to listen critically. We need to listen intentionally. We need to keep our minds open and understanding as we're trying to watch these ads. But we also, and this is the second thing I want to challenge you to do this coming year, we also need to listen more to God's voice. We need to look at life through the lens of Scripture. Some of the ads, some of the ads that we see, some of the voices that we hear are really saying good things. For example, there's a lot to like about a particular campaign by Dove Soap. It was the Dove Real Beauty ad campaign. Some of you have seen it. There was a YouTube video that they put out a number of years ago. It's gotten 68 million hits 
because it was striking a chord in so many people uh, as a result of this ad campaign. Take a look at this one uh, from 2007. They're asking the question, are those ugly spots or are they beauty spots? Are those freckles ugly or are they beautiful? And what the Unilever Corporation is trying to do is to get us to think differently about how we define beauty. And you know what? There's a lot of truth in what they're saying. The next ad, why can't more women be glad to be gray? What's wrong with gray hair? In the Bible, it's a sign of wisdom and respect. But in our society, we want to cover it up because we're embarrassed by it. So they're asking the question, why can't more women be glad to be gray? And yeah, it's fine. There's nothing wrong. And I keep reminding myself every day when I look in the mirror, there's nothing wrong with going gray. Why do I let the color of my hair or the complexion of my skin define who I am and define my self-worth and my self-image? And Dove and Unilever, they're trying to change the way people think. And that's good because it's true. But it's not true because Dove Soap says it's true. It's true because God says that it's so, and he said it a long time before Dove Soap said it. First Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. And that's absolutely true. And Dove Soap is recognizing that and they're making that point, and that's absolutely true. So when I'm seeing an ad for Dove Soap or Dos Equis Beer or Docker's Pants or whatever it may be, I wanna think critically about it and ask myself, does it agree with what God says? If it does, I should listen to it, not because Dove says so or because Dos Equis says so, but because God says so. And if it disagrees, then I need to say the same thing that Jesus said to the devil. I'm not gonna listen to your voice. I'm gonna listen to the voice of God. One of my favorite verses is found in the book of Acts. It's, it says this, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were examining the scriptures. They're reading the Old Testament every day to see if what this guy named Paul, who turns out to be the Apostle Paul, who ends up writing about a third of the New Testament is true. If they're asking themselves if what Paul is saying is true, if what Paul is saying agrees with what God says, then we absolutely should be doing that with all of the voices that we're hearing. Everything from our soap and our beer and our clothing to me, to Pastor Christian, to whomever you like to listen to on the radio or the internet, to the books that we read, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your family members, every single voice that is speaking into your life. Ask the question, does this voice agree with God's voice? If it does, welcome it. If it doesn't, then gently and relovingly say, no, thank you. I'm going to choose to listen to what God is saying to me. With that in mind, I want to challenge you in 2018 to listen more to God than you did in 2017. Listen more 
to God in 2018 than you did in 2017. There's a great website that I use very often that can be helpful with that. It's called Bible.com, www.bible.com. They have an app that many of you have on your smartphone or on your, on your tablet. Uh, you know it as the YouVersion app. You can read the Bible in literally a thousand different translations, it seems like they have there. They've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reading plans that you can use to read the Bible. Some of them will give you a few verses a day. Some of them will give you several chapters a day that you can use. Some of them will take you through the whole Bible in a year. Some will take you through maybe just one book of the Bible in a month. Some will focus on telling you about the life of Christ. Others will tell you the whole basic narrative of Scripture. There's so many different options to choose from. My encouragement, my challenge to you is to pick some way of reading the Bible this year, whether it's one of those plans on Bible.com or whether it's just simply starting at the beginning and reading a page and thinking about it, and then reading the next page the next day and the next page the next day and so on. Do more this year to listen to the voice of God than you did last year. And as you're reading in the Bible, I want you to ask yourself this question. If I really believed what I read is true, how would it make a difference in my life? How would it affect the way that I think? How would it affect my relationship with God? How would it affect my relationship with my friends, with my family members, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with strangers, with people that I don't even know? How would it change the way that I live my life if I were to believe that what I just read today is true? And then when you answer that question, take some time and pray and say, Lord, it's challenging. I hear your voice as I read scripture, but I hear all these other voices out there. And sometimes those other voices drown out your voice. And it's difficult for me to think the way you tell me I ought to think, to live the way you ought to, that you tell me I ought to live, to interact with people the way you tell me that I ought to interact with people. So help me to do that because I can't do it on my own and I need your help. So take the time to listen to God's voice and then ask him to help you to live in light of what you've read. There are all sorts of voices out there. They're trying to influence the way that we think. They're trying to influence what we buy. They're trying to influence how we act. They're trying to influence how we interact with people. And what we need to do is listen to the best voices. We need to listen to the ultimate best voice, not the catchiest ad, not the most persuasive ad campaign, not the person whom we want to like us, but to the one who created us, to the one who knows better than anyone else what's best for us, to the one who cares for us more than anyone else in the whole world, the one who is not trying to get us to buy anything, the one who does not have a hidden agenda because he lays it out very clearly for us in Scripture, the one who says the absolute best thing for you is to have a relationship with me because I am the creator of the universe, because I love you enough that I sent my son to die for you. I was willing to sacrifice the one who was most precious to me so that I could be reunited with you 
after you chose to listen to the wrong voice rather than listening to my voice. We need to listen to the voice of God because when we do, that's when we're going to find the fulfillment that we're looking for. That's when we're going to find the restored relationship with God. That's when we're going to find how we can grow in our relationships with one another. That's when we're going to learn how to think in the way that God wants us to think. That's how we're going to learn how to live in the way that God wants us to live. And that's when we're going to live in a way that brings glory to him and blessing not only to us, but also to the people around us. So let's pray together about that. Father, there are just so many voices out there and they are so easy to listen to because they're so persistent and they are so persuasive. And time after time, I and I know everyone else here listens to the wrong voices and, and we ask for your forgiveness for that and we're grateful that you do forgive us over and over and over again because that's the kind of God that you are. And so I pray for myself and I pray for all of us that this year in 2018, it would be a year where we listen much more critically than we ever have to the voices that are around us, that we listen so carefully to make sure that what we're hearing uh, fits and comports with what is true because of what you have told us. And I pray that this would be the year as well that we listen more and more and more to your voice. Give us that desire to, to hear your voice. Give us that desire to read your word. Give us that desire to live in light and to think in light of what we've read and then enable us to do that. And then as we do, Father, I pray that you would change us, that you would change our hearts, that you would change the way that we act, that you would change the way that we think. And that as we do that, I pray that we would bring glory and honor to you and also blessing to the people around us and that we'd be able to point them to you so that they too can experience the kind of love that you have for them that you showed us by giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Happy New Year. And I pray, it's my hope and it's my prayer that 2018 will be a year where as you hear more and more of, more of God's voice, you will grow closer and closer and closer to him, that your love for him will grow, that your desire to serve him and to follow him will grow, and that your desire to bring honor and glory to him will grow as well. So go in peace and have a wonderful 2018.